podcast. Hello, my friends, and welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris. His name is Hayden Winks. Hayden, before we get started, you were scarfing down orange chicken straight from your freezer. I asked this to the TikTok bros that we had on a fantasy draft a long time ago. Feels like years and years ago. Great guess. Great guess. I, I would... I would nominate for you orange chicken being what we, what you could eat the most of in 10 minutes in the eating competition. What would you answer for yourself? Bean and cheese burritos from Taco Bell. Probably eat 4,000 of those. Uh, orange chicken. Yeah, I'm fair game with all that stuff. I've, I've started to learn with your Chipotle history now with bean and cheese burritos. Anything wrapped in a tortilla just goes down very quickly for you. Yes, it's Mexican food. You can't beat it. <laughs> all right. This is your favorite show of the week. It's our favorite show of the week. I will not waste any more time. It's the fantasy usage show. We look back on week 10, put a lot of those performances into context, the narratives that happened, the stats that you've seen in box scores. Hayden scraped the data. We both watched the games. And you can find all this great information on underblog.underdogfantasy.com. Before we get there, though, a couple notes. One, go and support this channel. Yes, we have tons of basketball content here on the Underdog Fantasy YouTube channel. Thanks to World Wide Wob. Streams until like 4 a.m. Nutso stuff. Love it. Absolutely love it. And if you've never tried Underdog, specifically pick them, now is the time to do it. Use promo code show. If you deposit $10, $20, $55, we are going to match it. It's one of our best promos of the year. Just use promo code show. And as you know, you can hit 20x your money in one night by just picking five correct on Pick'em. I also want to plug Battle Royale, which is our DFS game. It oh, is yeah. a six-round draft. It's with six people. It takes about five minutes to do. It's for one-game slates. It's super – I think that there's a lot of edge to be had in these contests. And we're going to have a big tournament for Thanksgiving. So use this Sunday to prep for it, understand the strategy – understand how to enter and then be ready for Thanksgiving. Cause we have this deposit match and stuff too. So this is a big couple days here for underdog fantasy. If you're just sitting here on our YouTube channel and not actually playing on our site, you're out of your mind. It's, it's the best platform DFS player props, everything you could ever want. Yeah. Hayden, I win both on our own platform. So you should be doing that too. Okay. Let's get in to the show. We'll go running backs, wide receivers, tight end, you all know that you've been here with us before. And we start off with New Orleans, Hayden, because we know that Alvin Kamara missed last week. He had been the running back one in fantasy usage in steps. Mark Ingram against the Tennessee Titans, 14 carries, 47 yards and a score, seven targets, four receptions and 61 yards. I got to say it. They used Mark Ingram a lot like how they used Alvin Kamara. He looks spry. Ran a second and six option route. They took out Jayon Brown and they kept going back to that over and over and over again. What's your view on this backfield and anything with Mark Ingram specifically? I think it just kind of solidifies Mark Ingram being a elite insurance option, kind of in that Tony Pollard variety. He played on 85% of the snaps, 19.7 expected half PPR points. The Saints have no choice. They're going to run the ball. That's their identity. They do not have the wide receivers to suddenly change. So even with Alvin Kamara out of the lineup, it's still going to be a run-heavy offense. And Mark Ingram, even with Kamara coming back, he needs to be rostered in 10-team leagues, 12-team leagues, because you're one slight injury away from not only like a top 12 back, but somewhere 
probably closer to like top eight, top six back with this offensive line. Last note, I had Nick Underhill last week. Uh, He was well ahead of Alvin Kamara being out. If you're not following him, what are you doing? The second part, though, he said that this is a short-term minor injury. He's expecting Kamara to come back this week. We'll follow the practice reports. But I think that this was going to be a one-week rental for Mark Ingram. But still, Mm -hmm. do not drop him. We now know that he's an RB1 whenever Kamara's out. They face the Philadelphia Eagles in the next week. And yeah, it's it's a Saints offense that I think I'm a little bit surprised. You're a little bit surprised that if you told us that Jameis Winston was going to be missing through the remainder of the year, that Taysom Hill would not be the starter. He obviously is not. It's Trevor Simeon. And since it might be, you know, the last time we see Mark Ingram in this role and because he just became the Saints all-time leading rusher, I actually want to bring up again a few more points because that second and sixth option route against Jayon Brown was incredible. Put his hand in the dirt, turned up field, turned the corner. Third and four touchdown run. He launched upfield. There was another wheel route against Jayon. This was the one. When the game was on the line, a two-point conversion with barely any time left on the clock that the Saints absolutely needed, look who they went to. They once again went to Mark Ingram one-on-one with Jayon Brown, and he barely missed it as well. Again, not expecting Mark Ingram to do anything as – anything more than a running back insurance type moving forward. Just wanted to give, you know, an old guy his due. Us 30 plus year olds can still get it done. Maybe. Yeah. It's possible that if you're like really desperate, Mark Ingram could barely be a flex play this week. If maybe they slut slim down Kamara's workload, just in his first game back, he was averaging like is like 6.8 and like 9.8 expected half PPR points in the two games with Kamara. So that's like just enough. If you're in a really bad spot to start him. Uh, but I think that would just be for this next week. You're right. He's probably just an insurance guy only. Okay. Let's move on over to the Detroit Lions and namely DeAndre Swift here, Hayden, because he's near the top of the list as well. Running back five overall in fantasy usage, coming off an insane 33 carries for 130 yards, six receptions, excuse me, six targets, three receptions, and two Yards. So we've seen him dominate in the receiving game all season long because it was bad weather outdoors against the Pittsburgh Steelers defense. We saw them go to the ground game. And Hayden, that stood out to me for this reason. We've seen Anthony Lynn be the play caller. And guess what happened on Sunday? Lions coach Dan Campbell took over the play calling. And what do we get? A 30 plus touch running back out of him. Your thoughts. I had this written down in the recap show and I forgot to say it, but this was a, yep. a, a big piece of information uh, because we know how heavy Anthony Lynn wants to be in the ground game. Uh, making matters worse, it seems like Jared Goff is either going to not play this week oh. or if he's going to play, he's going to be severely banged up. He's in with like an oblique rib area. And I think if you're a quarterback, you kind of need your trunk to throw the ball. So that's, I think, why they were really limiting him last week. Um, but he ended up coming out with 93% of the snaps, a season high 23.2 expected half PPR points. Not only did Jamal Williams not practice last week, but during this game, some of the backup running backs for the Lions, they also left early. So this is all of a sudden a really uh, a team that lacks depth at running back, assuming Jamal Williams is going to be out or limited coming back. So it's going to be a absolutely pathetic offense, even worse if it's David Blau or um, Boyle is the other quarterback that they have. 
Uh, it's going to even get worse, but we know he's going to have elite, elite, elite usage, and that locks him into the top 12 regardless. A, a couple things. It's notable how successful DeAndre Swift was in the running game. And you can see these clips that Ian Harditz posted on Twitter that we're now showing on the screen because prior to this game, just five forced missed tackles on 90 carries for DeAndre Swift this season. He had seven on Sunday in arguably his most difficult matchup of the season against the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's just 46th in elusive run rate as a ball carrier. Now, I think we also need to bring up that he's been incredible as a receiving back. Yes. I mean, 17 more forced missed tackles on 50 catches this season. That's where he's been outstanding is in space, making someone miss one-on-one and creating these big plays. But if he can start doing that as a runner as well, again, he fits this offense where they're at in terms of being bad and a quarterback who, you know, thrives on giving his ball carriers yards after catch opportunities. Um, That's where he wins at the moment. But for the long term, when we view DeAndre Swift, again, if he can become more confident between the tackles as a runner with his vision, with his burst, with his patience, and start to break tackles there as well, then this is a 2022, 2023, 2024, when the Lions are hopefully better, then that sets up for success even more for DeAndre Swift. Yeah, they don't have the wide receivers. Everything has to go through him. And we thought TJ Hawkinson, we'll get to him in a second. But this entire team is running the ball and yards after the catch. They are by far leading the NFL in yards after the catch. And that's because DeAndre Swift as a receiver out of the backfield. And I'm with you. It's like two dimensional. Uh, Like I think DeAndre Swift, like he's not that good of a pure runner, correct? but he does all of the rest of it at a very high level. He's kind of like an Austin Eckler light. Um, And now that he has Anthony Lynn, that's how we should be kind of uh, viewing uh, DeAndre Swift. He was an RB one coming in. He still is an RB one, just going to be kind of, utilize a little bit different without Jamal Williams because they've invested so much in this offensive line too. And they haven't really been able to use it in neutral and positive game scripts running the football. This is an absurd graphic that you're seeing on YouTube right now. I mean, almost what 10, 15 percentage points in terms of their percent of passing yards. The Lions have after the catch of the season compared to the next closest, which is the Green Bay Packers. It just shows you how limited this team is and how much they have to and when teams play off of them because they're so far down the scoreboard than just eating up chunk gains. Like we've talked about with DeAndre Swift over and over and over again on this show. All right, let's move on over to Michael Carter, Michael Carter. We know rookie running back for the New York jets. It's been on a positive trajectory here with Michael Carter in the last few weeks with Mike white being the starter. In fact, I think Hayden, we had a 19 target game with him a couple weeks back or 14 target. Um, against the Bills, though, just six targets, four receptions, 43 yards. That game got so out of hand that they kept giving him the football. 16 carries for 39 yards and one score. So on one hand, we know Michael Carter is now the best running back on the Jets as a ball carrier, and they're giving him that opportunity on the ground. But in order to be good on a bad team, we also need him to hopefully see 80 to 100% of the targets out of the backfield too. And Ty Johnson coming back from injury is creeping into that more and more, it feels like. Yeah, Michael Carter, 21 of his 22 touches last week came on first and second down. That's because Ty Johnson is the third down back. Now, Michael Carter still plays a couple of third downs, but they got Tevin Coleman back. And Tevin Coleman didn't steal that much work, 
But even just dealing a little bit of work in this bad of a backfield, it does matter. He ended up playing 52% of the snaps. So um, we'll see what the quarterback change means. I don't think Joe Flacco and Zach Wilson are the types of quarterbacks that are going to throw their the ball to their running backs. So I think any quarterback change will end up being a downgrade. Now, I think that Michael Carter has earned uh, RB2 love the rest of the season, even with that change. But I really do think like this last week or the couple weeks before this was going to be the peak for him, especially with Tevin Coleman getting back in there. Even like 10, 20% of Tevin Coleman still matters. And I know it's only Tevin Coleman, but Michael Carter and Ty Johnson couldn't afford to lose much work because everything was so game script dependent in the first place. Now there aren't that many, you know, running backs across the league that we can say, Oh, he's definitely going to get 16 carries every single week. And Michael Carter kind of feels like one of those, but Hayden, that's the difference between, I don't know, running back 20 status versus running back 10, both being on bad teams as if he's going to get tons and tons of passing work. And it's, it's more difficult to say that right now. Still love Michael Carter, the player, but the change at quarterback two could potentially impact him as we go along. Michael Carter can play just like for dynasty purposes. I think he can play his vision and they don't even have, you know, top left tackle back yet. And AVT is playing really well at left guard. Let's talk about the Patriots backfield Patriots backfield. First two conversations here. Let's table what it might look like coming up this week, Hayden. And let's first talk about what it looked like in week 10 against the Cleveland Browns. Ramondre Stevenson had 20 carries for a hundred yards and two touchdowns even worked in the passing game, five targets, four receptions for 14 yards. Brandon Bolden, three carries for 32, three catches for 38 yards. As a whole with the Patriots, this is exactly the identity that they wanted. In fact, they put out six offensive linemen in some sets with Michael Onwinwu being out there. So what stood out to you first with Ramondre Stevenson and the usage with Brandon Bolden? Because that usage far, far exceeded my expectations for a player that missed so much practice. So I think the first thing is Trent Brown coming back and he kind of rotated in at right tackle. They were using that fullback. They were using a six offensive lineman. No matter where, where it was going, they were getting a ton of push. And this is not pushing over uh, your little brother. This is pushing over some big dudes oh, yeah. on the Browns. And I thought Trent Brown looked phenomenal. You do not see a player that big. So as long as he can stay healthy, I think he's going to be a true difference maker. They were running behind him and setting up a lot of runs for Ramondre Stevenson. Now for Ramondre Stevenson, his workload was massive. 24 of his 25 touches came on first and second down. He ended up playing 56% of the snaps. But because the ground game was working, they just kept giving the ball over and over again. And that led to 24.3, 24.8 expected half PPR points. So uh, we know where Ramondre is capable of behind this offensive line. The Patriots will end the year number one in fantasy usage. We just have to play this game now. How do you divvy it up? Because I don't think that Brandon Bolden is going to lose his third down job, his passing down job. Now with Damian Harris, I think practicing today, is he on track to play Thursday night? That's going to be the hard thing. When Damian's back, how does the the early down workload get split between the two? Because to me, it's I don't really see Damian Harris or Ramondre as absolute game cha- changers on film. I think both of them are solid. Ramondre's looked better the last couple weeks than he did earlier in the season. So it's going to be very much a guessing game going into Thursday night unless you have a clearer view than I do. No, I think it's impossible to have a clear view. Our, our only certainty is that this team is going to continue to run the ball and be successful. 
running the ball, especially against one of the easiest levels of competition they're going to have all season in the Atlanta Falcons. A couple of notes. I know it's exciting when Ramondre Stevenson gets five targets, four receptions, whatever it is. Um, I think if they are going to operate in negative game script in the future, then Brandon Bolden's going to be in those moments. Like they were just in control from start to finish against the Browns that they're able to work in positive game script passing plays to get Stevenson involved. It's not like, Hey, everyone's going to be rushing us and we have, and obviously the Browns don't love to blitz at all. So they don't have to keep a running back in as often. Ramondre had moments, and I'm sure he, no matter what his performance was, elicited positive reviews from every single layer of his, his output, and that's all you can ask for. I mean, he's a big body who has wiggle, who has flow, who has rhythm, everything. But then we've seen at every single turn that either when Damien screws up, when he leaves with an injury, whenever he is healthy, he comes back in and plays a significant role a significant role in this backfield. And so like if, and I want you to answer this question, like if anyone out, anyone out there was going to ask us, okay, how is this backfield going to be viewed on Thursday? I would say obvious passing downs, Brandon Bolden locked in. Goal line carries. I think Damien Harris is probably locked into that because he's probably done the best despite a fumble or two here and there. And then if they want explosive plays, I think that they rotate all three with probably a 60% Ramondre Stevenson between the 20s, then a 20% split between Damian Harris and Brandon Bolden and the others. Maybe that's too much of a pie of between the 20s work for Ramondre Stevenson, but I think based on last week's performance and based on how great he was reading the offensive line blocks, maybe he deserves that from here on out. Yeah, if Damian Harris is out, Ramondre is either an RB1 if the Patriots are supposed to win and control the clock or like an RB2-3 if games are more neutral or negative. And if all three are active, I think Ramondre and Damian are both probably closer to RB2-3s. And the only saving grace is that the Patriots are 29th in neutral pass rate and they're getting this offensive line back. I, I would not be surprised if the Patriots close out the rest of the year dead last and neutral pass rate. I think that's how run heavy they're going to get. So there will be points, but I think that Damian Harris and Ramondre both deserve touches. I don't think either one has uh, necessarily like jumped over the other. I think both of them could be mixed, mixed in and out of the game. Yeah. Uh, we're getting a question from Shirley. Why can't Ramondre be the passing down back? He showed his ability as a receiver. Yes. And I even saw him a couple of times hit some nice chip blocks. The Browns don't blitz. There, I think, and maybe you can look this up while I'm figuring this out, just from my eyes, one of the lowest blitzing teams in the NFL. Um, other teams are going to blitz more. And typically when that happens, the running back has an assignment. And we have seen Ramondre really struggle with that. I'm, I was personally amazed. We talked this on the Sunday show, how much run Ramondre got despite missing practices over and over and over again last week because of concussion-like symptoms. So that doesn't mean he's not going to catch passes. But in obvious situations when the Patriots are down, which I actually think now they're going to be down far less often than they were earlier in the season because this is a really good team at the moment. They are executing the vision and have you know, six offensive linemen that are very, very good now. So last week, yes, he was good in the passing game, but with Brandon Bolden has never put a wrong foot forward in that. And we have seen from start to finish since James White has gone down that Brandon Bolden has owned that role. 
So that doesn't mean Ramondre is not going to catch any passes. But if we're talking about like the specific two-minute drill or down on the scoreboard, I still think Bolden has that. Yep, the Browns are 22nd in blitz rate per Sports Info Solutions, so you're dead on there. Uh, the Falcons don't blitz that much either because they right. can't have they don't have the pieces in the back end to kind of play man on man coverage or the front four to pressure anyway. So right. they're just screwed defensively. But as for Ramondre Stevenson, I think he can do it, especially yeah. if it's just going on the flats, catching the ball and going upfield. Sure, Ramondre Stevenson is a bigger back, but he has softer hands. It's the other parts. And there was the Belichick quote from coming on. That was the reason why he was inactive. It wasn't because of his ability to run between the tackles. It's because pass protection. So it's a he can get there long term. So I think for Dynasty, you got to be pretty bullish on what he's offering right now. But I don't think that he, all of a sudden he's going to be the, the third down back moving forward. Too much hyperbole to say like this game is going to tell us a lot about the backfield moving forward. Because with Damian probably coming back, then that just shows you how much confidence Ramondre earned in his one real starting job. I say that on one hand and then say, well, the Patriots have switched it up week in, week out, no matter what in the past. So it's not that like, oh, we can take week 11 and then extrapolate that for the next five or six weeks too. Yeah, it's also a short week. So practice time's limited. The whole thing's weird. Unfortunately, the answer is they all get work. They all get work. And the high value touches are probably going to be the thing that matter the most moving forward. All right, let's keep it rolling. That's a good discussion. Let's keep going with the Kansas City Chiefs backfield quickly with Daryl Williams. Hayden, if you can pull up the fantasy usage model, Daryl Williams has been insane with his usage over the last few weeks. He's up at running back 11, converting that into running back 19. This past week, 11 carries, 43 yards, nine catches for 101 yards. That absurd play on third and 11 to go up and high point the ball over John Abram. We've got mixed messages from Andy Reed for week 10. And then now week 11 with CEH's return because with CEH possibly returning that muddies the waters once again on a player who might be an adequate talent, but was getting basically all of the volume. Last two weeks, Daryl Henderson or uh, Daryl Williams, 20.8 expected half PPR points. And then last week, 19.8. That's a elite elite RB one numbers uh coach reed came out and said that ch has a quote-unquote good chance of playing i believe him this is a massive game for the chiefs with uh the cowboys coming up on the lineup so i think that ch is going to be out there i would presume that ch is probably going to have maybe a little bit smaller role than daryl williams had these last couple weeks because there wasn't another back to kind of compete with daryl williams um so i think that ch is probably going to be more of his uh rb2 then I think I, last week I thought Daryl Williams was a legit RB1 because positive game script, the the, um, the the matchup was good, and there was no other uh, running back two to worry about. I think this will be a little bit of a committee going into the bye just because it'll be his first game back. Um, but I think that CH could get going a little bit. We know the boxes are going to be light for him coming out of the bye, and we've seen the ground game get going a little bit just at least because their center can kick ass, their left yep. tackle, left guard. They can move piles if they choose to do so. Hot hand for as long as CEH can, you know, stay healthy and looks 100%. Um, what Darrell Williams did this past weekend was awesome. But I think most of all, we've seen that he's an average runner who made a spectacular play on Sunday, yes. mostly in this time without CEH. Um, but it's not like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has shown to be, you know, first round pedigree or 
top 12 runner in the NFL either. So it's, it's going to be difficult to, you know, figure it out heading into each game, I think, week to week. I think CH is much better between the tackles and Daryl Williams, like not even close. I think CH can run between that, the tackles. The problem that is like that first round draft capital makes everyone go crazy. And whenever they throw the ball to him space, which doesn't happen that, that, that often, he's just not that explosive. Like he's never going to rip off like a 40 yard play and run by everybody. I think that's what's so disappointing, but I think he has like the vision and the ability to, to run through a couple arm tackles between the pile. And I think that the chiefs, really need that especially against the defenses they're playing so i think if you have a very disappointed ceh uh uh manager i think that he can be a last second throw in Mm. in trade deals i think that he could have some of his best production down the stretch here i like that i like that a lot and i think the root of it is the chiefs offensive line as run blockers can kick ass yes can absolutely kick ass and they just haven't stuck with it as much as they possibly could because then they start losing on the scoreboard and you know long drives necessarily aren't their history or or the foundation of their offense. Okay, let's jump to the Washington football team because Antonio Gibson, honestly, Hayden, I sat him this past week against the Tampa Buccaneers. To. You had to. Who, who thought Antonio Gibson would go out there and get 24 carries for 64 yards and two touchdowns? Four of the top five grades on Washington this past weekend from PEF, PFF, Hayden, were from the offensive line. I mean, they dominated. They kicked butt up front, and Vita Vea left injured, but that was like in the final few minutes of this game. It was just a complete domination from Washington's end. So while we've brought up Antonio Gibson's game and name a lot here in the last few weeks, this is absolutely a check in the positive direction. 100%. If you didn't start him, I would not feel bad at all. He was barely playing. He was still limited in practice all week, and then he's playing the Buccaneers so, like, this was, like, one of the most outlier games I think that we've seen all year. But season high, 24.3 expected half PPR points. We shouldn't expect Washington to hold on to this many leads. But the fact that he still has this in him is definitely good news. Jarrett Patterson only played five snaps here. And this would be the game script that you would think Patterson would kind of get in there and mix in with. So, apparently, Antonio Gibson's shin must be feeling a little bit better. Um, I still think this is going to be a very volatile player and he kind of just hit the jackpot because, um, quite frankly, he wasn't like that effective on the ground. Right. Um, but he got the game script and the touches that we're looking for. And that's a win, at least. There was a chance that he was going to be an RB3, RB4 the rest of the year. At least this gives him some pass to RB2 land. Currently, he's the RB12 in fantasy usage over the last four weeks. Yeah. And in the last few weeks for Washington, they've been dealing with a whole bunch of offensive line injuries and getting Brandon Sheriff back. I believe Sam Cosme's back as well. Those are incredibly important. I mean, first and 10, boom, and Tino Gibson goes out there and gets 14 yards. Second and 13, 12-yard gain. Third and one, an 11-yard gain. I mean, no one, no one is doing that for the Tampa Buccaneers. It was really cool. And then a third and seven conversion out of the slot against Levante David, too, and then another split out wide snap against Antoine Winfield that he won. And the way that Washington was able to grind out a 10-minute drive to end the game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, incredible stuff, unpredictable things. And we talked about this in the Sunday show, but this is also kind of like a root reason why I have so much hesitation of playing someone like JD McKissick. I know Vegas is rarely ever as wrong as they were with a spread in this game, but when it's someone with that's tied to one game script specifically and it being negative, obviously sometimes it doesn't come out in your favor. Okay. Green Bay Packers backfield Hayden Winks because 
Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon form one of the best duos in the NFL. Now, last week, MRI revealed that Aaron Jones has a mild, according to Adam Schefter, MCL sprain. He is expected to be out one to two weeks. So where does that leave us with AJ Dillon? He of 21 carries for 66 yards and two touchdowns, two catches for 62 yards against the Seattle Seahawks, an old school back with new school athleticism. We're about to see some running back insurance come home and go straight to the bank account in AJ Dillon. Hayden. Absolutely. For the next two weeks, because it goes at Minnesota, then against the Rams and then the bye week. So you have to assume that one to two week time frame is going to be the, the full two weeks and then the bye week. And then we'll get, Aaron Jones back, especially with the Packers with uh, eight and two um, looking very comfy for the playoffs. So um, AJ Dillon last week came in 22.8 expected half BPR points. We know that's kind of the workload he's going to get. It was Patrick Taylor who was in that Memphis backfield and was actually kind of productive in that. Um, He's kind of the number, the new number two. There is no Kylan Hill. He's out for, for the year. So um, we're going to see AJ Dillon on a couple passing downs. I still think most of the production is going to be, on the ground, but AJ Dillon's one of those not just bruising uh, 235 plus pound backs. He is like legitimately athletic. So this isn't like LeGarrette Blount or something like that. I think that AJ Dillon, if they ask him to catch the ball, he can do it. I just don't think they're going to do it that often. I actually think that these splits are going to help someone like Devontae Adams instead of throwing the ball to Aaron Jones in the screen game. It's going to go on those bubbles to Devontae Adams. So a uh, big loss for the Packers, but I think they have enough pieces. And A.J. Dillon has looked really good, especially next week when they're probably going to have David Bakhtiari back in the lineup. Yeah, interesting. Uh, A.J. Dillon has 18 targets on the season, hyper-efficient so far with 16 receptions. In fact, Hayden, he has more 10-plus yard uh, catches than he does 10-plus yard runs this season, which is pretty crazy for someone that has the build of a quote unquote between the tackles runner. He's fifth in yards per route run only behind Cordero Patterson, Christian McCaffrey, Tony Pollard, and Ramondre Stevenson. And we know Aaron Jones is one of the best pass catching backs in the NFL. He's seventh right now in total targets among all backs in the league. I wouldn't be surprised if we see close to five, six targets a game, for AJ Dillon. Maybe it's not the full combination between the two of eight, nine targets, but I could see him getting five, six targets and he rumbles, man. I mean, the athleticism that he puts out there, he's top eight in yards after contact. Pretty great company up there in that list. Nick Chubb, Jonathan Taylor, Derrick Henry, Kareem Hunt, Javante Williams. It's crazy. We haven't seen more straight line explosive runs of like big chunk gains from AJ Dillon, but guess what? He's doing the mountain space and I tried to say this well on the Sunday show and I probably won't even do a good job saying it right now. He has like scary speed. That's also subtle. Like once those legs get going, it doesn't look like he's putting a lot of effort into it, but he just glides past people. I cannot wait to see him behind this unit. And hopefully David Bakhtiari is coming back at some point. We said that for three or four weeks in a row, he was an inactive on Sunday, but this Packers team, we know it's it's had some ups and downs in the last few weeks, but this is why you spend, and maybe it's not the best reason, a second-round pick on someone like A.J. Dillon is this athleticism when, even though you know Matt LaFleur didn't use Derrick Henry to the best of his abilities, knows what a back of this size with this athleticism can do, and he's going to carry them. He can absolutely carry them with everything they want to do by the backfield. 
AJ Dillon, 41% or a 41 inch vertical jump, 96 percentile among running backs. Yeah. At whatever weight, 247 pounds. That is, I mean, what the hell are these? Some of these NFL players are mind blowing how crazy that is. Can, can you pull that up? Can I show you an Easter egg? Yeah, let's find it. Okay. Cool. Can you go up to the top right where the, the magnifying glass is and type in Josh Norris? <laughs> No, no, they didn't. <laughs> they did. The great folks at Mock Draftable put out the Josh Norris NFL Combine experience as well. Look at that 5, 4, 3, 40 yard dash. Yeah, so you have a 41 inch vertical jump from AJ Dillon and a 23 inch vertical jump from Josh Norris. Look at that 8th percentile hand size, though, at nine inches. I am no Jared Goff. I'm not going to make any jokes about that. <laughs> Bench press zero reps. Oh, you absolutely love to see it. Um, yeah, I just had to bring that up. That's good stuff. Uh, by the way, quickly with the Green Bay Packers, Hayden, there is room to grow here for this offense. They were first last season in uh, red zone touchdown rate. They have dropped all the way down to 25th this season, a drop in about 23 percentage points in terms of touchdowns in the red zone. Now, we had like a Jordan Love game. We had an Aaron Rodgers game without Devontae Adams. We've had some things mix in and out, and obviously no Robert Tunyon right now. But this is an area that maybe regresses back closer to where it was last year. And if that's the case, the running back, the quarterback, the lead wide receiver can all benefit from that moving forward. It's a good call. The red zone touchdown rates, it's great stat. I like uh, the stats. I look for like regression. It's the deep throws. It's the red zone stats. Like those are like the two primary ones where you're like, man, they're moving the ball, but they're just not scoring in the end zone. Like guess what usually happens? All of a sudden they start uh, getting into the end zone more. So yeah, great call. But also Aaron Rodgers play was going to regress as well from being an MVP caliber talent last year. So maybe it's somewhere in the middle. Maybe it's somewhere in the middle. Okay. Uh, Let's talk about the 49ers backfield. Um, Again, let's start this conversation with what just happened in week 10 first. Eli Mitchell got 27 carries for 91 yards in a game with dominant game script. Compare that to Jeff Wilson, who had 10 carries. And Eli Mitchell, we had seen him, you know, 10th in rushing yards, second in yards after contact. And again, Jeff Wilson stepped in with 22 snaps. So before we talk about anything, what happened might happen in week 11, let's focus on week 10 and what Eli Mitchell put out there. So season high, 14 expected half PPR points, even though he didn't have the production that followed. They got Debo Samuel in there. And I mean, Debo Samuel looked incredible, even as a running back. That was nuts. Um, They got Jeff Wilson in there a little bit. The third down work kind of got split between Wilson and Kyle Juszczyk kind of in the same uh, way. Juszczyk was out there when Trey Sermon was the one. Uh, They're not going to give Eli Mitchell the passing down work this year, I wouldn't think. Um, But he still looks so explosive. And the 49ers had an 18% neutral pass rate uh, last week. I haven't checked. That might be the lowest of any team all year. This was a very run it right down your throat. And Eli Mitchell is clearly the one moving forward when healthy. Okay. Now let's talk about that status because Kyle Shanahan steps to the podium on Tuesday and says that Eli Mitchell had a finger fracture. He's going to get it fixed, but unclear just yet. What is status for this week against the Jacksonville Jaguars? A matchup that was going to be glorious, that was going to be beautiful, that we have been looking forward to. So where does that bring us now? We know that J. Michael Michael Hasty has been dealing with injuries. We know that Trey Sermon has barely played, and Kyle Shanahan wants to play anyone, anyone over Trey Sermon, maybe even Nick Rudman. 
He's looking for a way to get in the league. Maybe it's as a 49ers running back. So I mentioned 22 snaps for Jeff Wilson. We're going to talk about Debo Samuel here in a little bit, but six running back snaps for Debo Samuel. And they did some really cool things with actually Jeff Wilson acting as like the H back or the fullback yes. to keep the defense in a personnel grouping that was advantageous for the offense while they were in 11 personnel. Yet they basically get two extra blockers for the tight end and the running back. And then the wide receiver acting as the ball carrier and winning his one ones or even one on twos and threes. Cause Depot is just an insane talent. I say all of that by getting to this point. I believe Jeff Wilson is going to be heavily, heavily trusted as the go-to ball carrier while Eli Mitchell is out. He doesn't necessarily have the straight line speed, but boom, he thumps. Hayden, he thumps people. That was him as the blocker, not as the kick returner, by the way, as everyone can see here on Twitter. And he also has some receiving chops as well. So we've seen Jeff Wilson be a productive player, and I think it can happen again. Sorry to this Trey Sermon lovers out there. But I just believe that in Kyle Shanahan's back pocket, he's going to throw out Jeff Wilson instead of the rookie. I am 100% with you. I think it will be Jeff Wilson. And Jeff Wilson was trucking people last night, too. It, I didn't see a lot of explosiveness, and I wonder how much the injuries are kind of affecting that. But this guy will run right through your face. And I think that's good enough for this offense to play in the Jaguars. We know what the game scripts are going to be. Um, I don't think that he's going to catch that many passes. I think that's going to go to Hasty if he's healthy or the uh, fullback, or they'll bring somebody up, um, or it's just going to be more screens to Debo Samuel, that type of thing. But give me 15 carries in this offense. Yep. RB2 numbers. I think he's probably going to be, I mean, this is one of the worst waiver wire weeks of the year. He might be number one or number two, assuming AJ Dillon's on a team uh, right. for the next week or two. If, uh, Mitchell misses time. He's got to be the one. I, I don't know what the, I don't know if you can play through a finger injury as a running back. Uh, there's plenty like you can go Jesse Morris. There's other people on YouTube. They'll know more about the finger injury. But if he's out, I think Jeff Wilson's a must pick up. Yeah, it sounds like Kyle wants Eli to play, which makes total sense. And they're holding out hope for that. But anytime it's a finger injury for someone that either is going to have, and we've seen this in the past where a running back doesn't switch arms with the ball. They just keep it on one side, despite running to the left, keeping it in the right or vice versa. That, that is always a possibility just makes life so much more difficult. Um, I think what we've seen here, with Eli Mitchell emerging as a six round pick and where they put uh, Raheem Mostert in bubble wrap to finish the season that really the key for this offensive running game to shine this year, Hayden, was going to be speed and explosiveness. Now, Mitchell isn't quite in the same tier as Raheem Mostert was, but no one now has that in this backfield. But like maybe the closer to it and someone who's going to hit the hole with ferocity and aggression more so than Trey Sermon, the rookie, is, is Jeff Wilson and someone who obviously has been productive in the past. I think trustworthy is such like a big word for Kyle Shanahan this season. And Jeff Wilson just has that in the bank account already comparison compared to, you know, other names in the roster at the moment. Fair. Fair enough. Okay. Let's go to James Connor. Is that who's next Hayden? Yep. I mean, it was complete negative game script for James Connor, the Cardinals running back who was going to have his first real start without 
Chase Edmonds, 10 carries for 39 yards and a score. He got lucky with an 11-yard touchdown at the end because his team was immediately down 14-0 based on the Panthers' defense. Hopefully, Kyler Murray is coming back in. This offense changes a bit. What do you want to say about James Conner here? 82% of the snaps, and that doesn't even include the last couple snaps where they were getting absolutely blown out. And uh, then, you know, Benjamin came out and finished. But before James Conner got pulled, uh, 14 opportunities for him to four for Eno Benjamin. Uh, he had three of the four passing situation targets. That kind of takes uh, in negative game scripts, two-minute drill, those type of situations. So he has that role. He's got the goal line role. I think he looks good. When Kyler Murray's out there, get ready to go. 82% of the snaps is, I think, even more than what I was projecting. So uh, I think it's wheels up for James Conner. Let's talk about this Bills backfield because – it has been topsy-turvy this season as well. We've seen Zach Moss be productive earlier this season. Then the entire backfield went through a dry spell, and now we get a curveball thrown in, and that is with Matt Breida. Matt Breida, Hayden, a player who played eight snaps compared to 28 for Zach Moss. We got two touchdowns out of those eight snaps. The first one was, was pretty insane. I want to bring this up just for the dots. I don't think that this was supposed to be a wheel route. In fact, Matt Breida said in his post-game press conference that it wasn't. It was just supposed to be a flare-out that was just there. But as soon as he saw Josh Allen escape pressure and climb in the pocket, he saw this wide-open sideline along the left, a very heady, heady play. This was in the first drive, and boom, in the honey hole, a touchdown. That, that play, I think it's Jared Davis, the linebacker, for no reason, just absolutely murks <laughs> Steph Diggs in the flats. <laughs> And I think that's what he took advantage of. Yep. Um, we'll get to in a second. This Jeff's Jets defense is pathetic. It, I think it was the worst game plan I've seen all year, what the Jets did. We'll get to them when we talk over Steph Diggs. But um, the running back situation for Buffalo is all of a sudden really interesting. Uh, I couldn't really pick up a trend. I know that it was eight uh, opportunities for Singletary, seven for Moss, six for Breida. And three of the four targets to the running backs actually went to Matt Breida. This offense was like already like 21st in fantasy usage to running backs coming into this game. They cannot afford a three uh, back or three back backfield here. Right. They can barely even afford us a, a second one. So right now it's Zach Moss as the goal line back. The rest of it's kind of up in the air. And I think that we should probably take another week uh, before Ross or before playing any one of these. If you're desperate, I would go with Moss just because you can luck into two touchdowns. But the rest of it's pretty bad. Yeah, we hypothesized a little bit in the Sunday night show of why Matt Breida got some usage here. Obviously, Zach Moss had been dealing with an injury. But I think the theme of this game was to get more speed, more ju juice out there. And, I mean, that was the case with them throwing down the field. We'll get to that with the wide receivers in a moment. Um, and we know among the players in that backfield, the fastest in a straight line is Matt Breida. And it worked out. But just eight snaps, I don't know how much we can uh, – can project that move. Yeah, fantasy usage RB37, RB45, RB51. Good luck yeah. if you play him. That's gross. Let's close out with the Tennessee Titans backfield. Speaking of gross. Um actually we got two more. First up the Titans. So this backfield has done absolutely nothing since Derrick Henry has left. Uh you have Adrian Peterson, you have Jerry McNichols in passing situations. And really the one that maybe has caught my eye, maybe it's from switching 45 to 7, Deontay Foreman I think looks like the most talented runner, but it's to the point also Hayden that it doesn't feel like it matters 
It right doesn't out. like the short yardage high value touches is what matters most. And Adrian Pearson seems to be trusted most in that area. But in terms of, you know, their own five yard line to the opposing five yard line, it's an effort to get anything going with any of these ball carriers. And that's such a shift in the identity for the Titans. Foreman's mixing in. He actually started. He's mixing in between the twenties. Adrian Peterson was in on almost every single one of the goal line opportunities. He didn't score a touchdown last week. Jeremy McNichols, I believe, played uh, most of the passing down work. Uh, He had all four of the touches on third and fourth down in this backfield. You can't play him right now. Fantasy usage, RB42, RB49, RB57. I think that all three of them are not good NFL running backs. And the Titans as a whole, their, their offense last two weeks against good opponents has looked really bad in the pass game and in the ground game. If you start any one of these teams, your team's effed. So the only th- positive I can like pull from this is that even in two really, really positive game script situations against the Rams and the Saints, Jerry McNichols is combined for 11 targets. The He's the one time. I would want out of all of them. And, and let's say the, the Titans are playing a really good opponent. Do you think that they might lose and you needed somebody in full PPR? That would be the one in positive game scripts. Everyone's too, uh, involved evenly like snaps were 21 2016 like it's yeah. it's literally a, a 33 percent backfield for all of them so we can move on you can't play these guys well it's a six it's a six game winning streak and they're still figuring out who they are going to be as an offense like in week 16 week 17 and week 18 and hopefully julio jones is healthy by then um, yep it's crazy okay now let's close with the Atlanta Falcons backfield. We have seen Cordero Patterson be one of the true difference makers in the NFL this season as a running back, as a wide receiver. He's making things happen in an offense that few are because of his explosiveness, because of his elusiveness. We saw it from week one. We should have believed in it even more, and we have. He's made us believe in it. But now Cordero Patterson is having a sprained ankle evaluated. It doesn't sound optimistic for Thursday night against the New England Patriots, according to Tom Palacero. So that gives us Mike Davis, Hayden. Mike Davis, who has had four carries, nine carries, nine carries, and four carries in the last four games. And Wayne Gallman, who outcarried Mike Davis last week, 15 for 55. Against a Patriots defense full of bullies. Where are you leaning, if, if either direction? So I promised myself I wouldn't play Mike Davis in the flex. But then there was this... Uh, quote out there talking about <laughs> how uh, the only reason why Wayne Gallman played so much is because we have to play Thursday. So that's why you saw a heavy dose of Josh Rosen and Gallman and the other guys that's came right from Arthur Smith. And when I went back and watched this game, here's some of the notes I had. Mike Davis still started. Cordero Patterson was out wide uh, before Cordero Patterson went down. Mike Davis had three touches. Wayne Gallman had two uh, after Matt Ryan was pulled. Mike Davis didn't play. Wayne Gallman played every single snap. They even involved the fullback as a running back because they did not want to play Mike Davis. So I think they're still viewing him as a starter, even though the snaps and the touches and all that stuff were really bad. I think Mike Davis is going to go out there. It's going to be a committee. I still do not want to play Mike Davis, but I at least think he's on the radar. Uh, The problem is, I mean, this offensive line is just so bad right now, and they have no explosiveness. I think I would take the under. I don't know what they're projected for, but uh, I don't think this Falcons offense is going to be good at all. Mike Davis has played bad. He can make players miss, but he cannot get up field beyond that. And he had a crucial drop on third down. So 
he's going to be like the RB30. So if that matters for you, go ahead. I, I'm going to be ranking him above Wayne Gallman unless I hear other news. I think at times we get a little too focused on, oh, this player is leaving. That means this other one is going to get an opportunity. In this case, it's twofold. One, the Falcons offense absolutely can tank against the New England Patriots. They put up three, 10 points. We've seen that as of late with the Falcons offense. And two, neither of these backs is anywhere close to the same type of talent that Cordero Patterson was. And the reason why CPAT has been successful versus Mike Davis is Cordero Patterson can, you know, get to the seam, can get to the edge, can get to the crease much faster and then be elusive in the second and third levels. Meanwhile, Mike Davis, like you said, he's still 16th elusive rating across the NFL this season, but so many of his four Smith tackles are one, two, or three yards in the backfield. I mean, so often, Hayden, we see like a third and two that he converts, but it really should have been a five yard, like a third and five because he gets hit three yards in the backfield. So nothing is going to be easy with his offense right now. And it's even crazier that it's just Cal Pitts out there. Like it's just Cal Pitts out there. And that's absolutely it. So I don't, I like Mike Davis, the football player. I still contend that he can help teams out there, but if they are teams that are not the Atlanta Falcons, period. Yeah, I have a thread if you want to go look at the Falcons offensive line last week. Really good stuff. By that, he means really, really bad stuff. Yeah, it's uh, the Patriots are going to have their way. Have some fun on Thursday night. Okay, before we go to wide receivers, need all of you. Thank you for being here. Appreciate you. Like and subscribe while you're here. We have shows every Sunday, twice. 10 a.m., 7.30 p.m., right after the 4 o'clock slate. Tuesday, this show, the Fantasy Usage Show, where we look at games, we scrape the data, figure out the truths in between. And then Thursday, game-by-game preview show as well. So let's roll into the wide receiver room, and let's solve a big conundrum in the NFL. That is the Los Angeles Chargers offense. So let's talk about two players. First, Keenan Allen, 35 targets for Keenan Allen over the last three games. That has equaled 279 yards. And while Mike Williams opened the season, great call by you as a top 12 wide receiver through the first few weeks of the year. Lately, 16 targets in those three games for Big Mike for just about 100 yards. What's wrong? What's real? And what's going to happen, Hayden? So I think that we view Justin Herbert as this vertical passer because he is, but in each of the last seasons and even at Oregon a little bit, he doesn't throw the ball downfield that often. I think that this year it's even worse because the offense, just the way Joe Lombardi kind of runs things, it's an offense kind of designed for Drew Brees and Drew Brees and Justin Herbert couldn't be more different. Now, Justin Herbert is still running this offense. I think very well, he does not, turn the ball over very often he can still rip these shots but this chargers offense is missing speed i mean like think about all of their players like i love mike williams and keenan allen they're not vertical threats uh outside of jump balls so i think that mike williams has looked fine he did get tackled at the two yard line he dropped a pass that he would have went right into the end zone i wouldn't have be hearing any complaints if you would have caught that the usage it has dropped all of a sudden mike williams is the wide receiver 34 in usage over the last four weeks um, I don't know what to, to say about this. I still think that Mike Williams could come back up and be a wide receiver one at times. Um, the biggest complaint I have outside of, I would like to see the, the chargers throw the ball down 
downfield more often. Justin Herbert's like fourth lowest in play action rate a dot. So in play action, when he has opportunities, he's not throwing it. A lot of those just are like little dump offs to the tight end. I cannot take another Donald Parham and uh, Jared cook ball to the flats anymore. Those need to be the deeper threats, but simply put this offense is too conservative. Their neutral pass rates are down a little bit. Uh, Justin Herbert is still really low in terms of a dot. Some of that's because of him. I think most of it's because of Joe Lombardi. And I think that Mike Williams could easily have big weeks, but in the meantime, Keenan Allen's just feasting because all of those negatives for the offense are positives for Keenan Allen and his like seven, eight yard downfield over and over and over again. Yeah. I have a lot to say about this too. And and you outlined a lot of good things. And I think there's even more going wrong here. I mean, Justin Herbert's intended air yards per attempt over the last two weeks is just 5.7. As you said, it was around 8.5 in the opening seven games. So while the offense work that we just saw this past weekend against the Philadelphia Eagles, it did not work against the Minnesota Vikings. And I ask why it's because Justin Herbert faced a whole bunch of pressure. And we've talked about this with Mike Zimmer when he's going against bad offensive lines or rookie quarterbacks, he does a really good job confusing opposing offensive lines. And he did that versus Herbert this weekend when they faced the Vikings. I mean, back to double digit pressures, he was sacked twice in that game. And it's not just, you know, throwing down the field. And by the way, 3.4 seconds for Justin Herbert when he throws the ball 20 plus yards. So he needs that time in the pocket and he's just not getting it because they're basically playing backups at what both right guard and right tackle, something we have alluded to. And they played again very well in week nine, not so much in week 10, but also Hayden, I'm going to put this on our favorite coach in the league and Brandon Staley too, because Brandon Staley is getting conservative on fourth downs. This past weekend against the Vikings, fourth and four at the 27, they kick a field goal. Fourth and two with 436 left at the six-yard line, they kick another field goal to go down, what, just seven points? Yep. And Minnesota Vikings run out the clock because, obviously, the Chargers' defense cannot stop anyone. Compare that in wins against, you know, the Eagles, the Browns, the Raiders, the Chiefs this year. They combined eight for 11 on fourth-down conversions. We talked – we did a whole video clip – on that Browns game where we said, if you have Justin Herbert, allow him to use all four downs, hit the backside plays, hit opposite hash throws. And maybe it's because he's nervous about his offensive line at this time. And that's why he's lacked this aggression, but putting yourselves out of opportunities to convert those four point plays is really changing. I think the trajectory of the season for them right now. Yeah, but under pressure, he's still top five in like PFF grades. So like right. some of those, all the attributes, like somebody of Justin Herbert's, just his appearance, just how his arm strength, he can play under pressure. I think that you're right that because of the the right guard, right tackle spot, they aren't willing to let him throw the ball downfield. I hope Lombardi says, "Screw it, Herbert. We're going to put a lot of pressure on you." But guess what? All those deep concepts, we're running them, and you're going to have to deal with some pressure in your face. But if they don't, and it's just little quick outs over and over again, you're really limiting this offense. So hopefully they can just change things up um, for just like for Mike Williams, like in general. I don't know. He still seems like a volatile wide receiver, too, to me. Like I know the usage has been abysmal, but this offense is too good, man. You don't see that sustained production for like five weeks in a row from Herbert and Mike Williams to all of a sudden just give up on it. So I know I'm being a homer because I'm a Mike Williams guy. But I, I still think that there's way too much potential here. And 
if you're like benching them or something like that, I think that would be ridiculous. If you want to try to sell them, you can, but no one's going to be buying them because of this recent box score. So I think that you just have to ride this thing out and trust that this offensive line on the left side is good enough. Herbert's good enough. Brandon Staley seems smart enough that they're just going to say, screw it. We're going to go for it again, just like how they were in the first five weeks of the year. Yeah, I, I think where we look at other quarterback to wide receiver relationships across the league, like Jalen Hurts to Devontae Smith, or Sam Darnold to DJ Moore and like how they can negatively impact each other. I don't think that this is a Justin Herbert problem at all. Like he's still playing incredibly well. Like you're saying, it's more of like an overarching either play calling and head coach philosophy at the top that they're just getting more and more conservative despite this like spiraling down when it was even working when they were being aggressive at the start of the year. So I'm not sure how they can hit the reset button because if I'm wrong, they've already come out of their bye week as well. So, like, I, on the fly, they're going to have to figure it out, and I'm with you, and it's easy for us to say sitting in these chairs at these desks. But when you have this type of quarterback, why not just let him unleash it? Like, give that a run instead of yeah. just, like, reining him in and trying to be Kyle Shanahan out there or, or like you're saying, Sean Payton with Drew Brees because that's not where this system is because we've seen with Drew Brees that was a top-five offensive line for years and years. Yeah, just more deep intermediate concepts. That's all I'm right. asking for. And Mike Williams, he's still getting open. There was um, I forget who who posted. I think it was Dwayne McFarland posted that that Mike Williams is still in single high or uh, uh, man coverage looks is still getting open at like elite elite level. So I think they're just going to figure this out. I I don't know why it's been so slow, um, but I, I I'm just I'm just want to bet on smart teams, and we think the Chargers are pretty smart at this point and uh, really good quarterbacks, and hopefully it works out. It's such a huge difference in the games that they win versus they lose and their aggression on fourth downs. It's crazy. I was just looking it up earlier. But yeah. We'll talk about that another time, too. Okay. Let's talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and namely Chris Godwin, Hayden, because he's checking both boxes, opportunity and efficiency. This past weekend, while injured all week long, Chris Godwin, eight catches, should say eight targets for seven catches and 50 seven yards so in these last few weeks we've seen mike evans have huge weeks we've seen antonio brown be out but again the consistency the consistent element has and will always be it feels like chris godwin yeah chris godwin had uh another big game playing through injury um i wanted to bring up chris godwin because he's the wide receiver seven we know the splits with and without antonio brown for both evans and godwin but i i rewatched the tom brady game and that was just the worst Tom Brady's looked. And I think that's why he's so mad in the presser. And he talked for 30 seconds and got out of there. I mean, he was missing, I think, just some reads. He was quick to throw the ball out to the underneath target. And that was just a really weird game. And it was the cover two thing, like he was saying briefly. And I think that would help Chris Godwin in general. If the teams are going to go to cover two stuff, he's going to be turning it into like the Keenan Allen that we were looking with Justin Herbert. So uh, Chris Godwin's going to be a must play. It looks like Antonio Brown is probably another week or two away. Um, I also think that Tom Brady's probably going to figure out this cover two stuff. I think that of any quarterback, I've got a feeling that he might be able to, to mental through this one. Yeah. I've got to say it with like the bills going through some difficulties at times, the Rams, a bunch of teams that as soon as we like crown them, then they, you know, fade away into the distance and show their flaws. It makes me, you know, believe more and more in Tom Brady and this Bucks team as, as we go along, I know what they just put out in the field in week 10 coming off a bye, but I mean, Antonio Brown's going to come back at some point. And I mean, he he's posting a la Russell Wilson, some 
rehab and, and training videos and he's still wearing a boot and hobbling around. So who knows, but it's not necessarily necessary for him to be out there because I'm sure that in the final few weeks, everyone will be gunning for that number one scene. The NFC is absolutely loaded, but if they get that too, then that's a, that's a tough offense. Their entire defense is hurt and yeah. no Gronk, no AB. Like we're, we're going to play this game where every single team is going to be the best team. And then when we come to the playoffs and we're filling out our playoff predictions, we're going to be like, yep, the Bucks are probably going to win this thing. Hmm. Cincinnati Bengals. Another topsy-turvy team. Hayden, what a weird season. Just two of three games this season. Jamar Chase has 10-plus targets. Uh, all three in the last five games, I should say. And 13 targets the last time he was on the field. I kind of feel like we've forgotten a little about the Bengals because they are coming out of a bye week. Um, back-to-back losses to the Jets and the Browns for Cincinnati. Um, what do you want to say about this Bengals team that uh, we have seen pass a little bit more, maybe not be as explosive as, a, as we had hoped for them to be, but really it's still just Jamar Chase being outstanding and the other two failing to hit expectations that we, the community, set out for them. Right, and I think it's still going to be tough for Tyler Boyd to get there, but I think this was more optimistic for someone like T. Higgins or if you need to start Joe Burrow. Uh, The Bengals have had three games with a 60% neutral pass rate this season. All three of them were Week 7, Week 8, Week 9, and then I think going into this year, our priors were that the Bengals coming off a torn ACL with Joe Burrow, the offensive line's new, they have some new pieces at, with Jamar Chase. They're probably going to be a little run heavy to start, and then they'll start getting going. I think coming out of the bye, we're going to see where this Bengals team was was starting to pick up, and this will end up being a pretty pass-heavy uh, offense. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing for Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon has five, zero, five, and four receptions over the last four games. The one zero uh, reception game came in a 41-17 to win. I think Joe Mixon has looked awesome as a pass catcher out of the backfield and more passing typically means more points, more points, more goal line opportunities. I think that Mixon going to be a top five guy. I think Jamar chase has earned uh, at least upside wide receiver two love. And I think T Higgins might be more of a startable wide receiver three uh, with a little bit upside too. I think this offense is about to really pick up out of the bye. So the post by rookie bump, what does that mean for Jamar Chase, who's already on pace to, you know, smash some rookie records? I'll throw out one area where he hasn't been great in. And I've, you know, been on the case for this for the Cincinnati Bengals because they have two huge outside receivers in Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. Yet neither has been good at contested catches. And this doesn't stand out to me as much as for Jamar Chase as it does to T. Higgins, because I think, honestly, T. Higgins game is kind of built on this. He's not nearly the separator that Jamar Chase is in the short, intermediate, and downfield game. And if T. Higgins is only converting 31% of these contested grabs, that's nowhere near he's where he should be. And this was evident. I think it was the Jets' loss, or maybe it was the game before then, that he just kept not coming down with any of these 50-50 situations. Um, Joe Burrow is 12th in the NFL, Hayden, in 20-plus yard attempts, 14th in completions, and six of those 14 20-plus yard throws and completions have resulted in a touchdown. So, like, I would love to see those double. I would love to see him throw those more and more as we go along. Like you, I'm excited to see what the 
what the Bengals are like coming out of their bye week after they've had a week to, you know, refresh and self-evaluate. Yeah, Jamar Chase, wide receiver three, fantasy usage, T. Higgins, wide receiver eight. I wide receiver Higgins. eight, fantasy usage is nuts. Yeah. Nuts. This team is ready to pass. I think T. Higgins is a buy low. Again, better win where he should be winning. Okay. Let's go to the Pittsburgh Steelers, Hayden. Um, we saw Chase Claypool miss this game. Chase Claypool will be out for a while. It sounds like with a toe injury. Um, obviously, Mason Rudolph stepped in there. Ben Roethlisberger may or may not be back for week 11. It's a bit too early to say which direction that's going to head. Anyways, James Washington, I think, just had one or two catches in that absence. Um, one was a touchdown, but Mason Rudolph was you know, throwing flutter balls out there, and it allowed Rayburn McLeod in the slot to get nine receptions, 63 yards against the Detroit Lions. Yeah, I wanted just to plug James Washington for a second. If you're desperate, at least 95% of the routes, 11 points, uh, expected half PPR points with Claypool. Is that I was kind of surprised they didn't put Claypool on injured reserve. Maybe that's good news that he's not going to miss three games, but I'd be pretty surprised if Claypool's back out there this week. And you're right, 50-50 Big Ben. You can't play anybody outside of Deontay Johnson with Mason Rudolph, but maybe you can get Washington into your flex in deeper leagues if Big Ben's healthy. Let's talk about the Buffalo Bills offense because just like the Chiefs, just like some other teams, questions were being asked of them, and they go out there and smash their opponent. I mean, 13.4 intended air yards per attempt last week for Josh Allen. It was nine, seven, and six in the previous game for previous three games for their quarterback. So it's so easy to see that they wanted to stretch the field a little bit more. Uh, Hayden, what also stood out, and you sent me this tweet to, to review, Cole Beasley only played nine snaps in that game, but it sounded like Sean McDermott, that was all just to uh, manage the injury that he carried into that contest. Yeah, McDermott said that they were just, quote-unquote, trying to get him through that game, and that's what it looked like to me. He only played a couple of snaps. This was a blowout win. Uh, I heard some good stuff about Gabe Davis, Rewatched the game, looked at the numbers. He ran a route on 37% of dropbacks. He had 4.7 expected half PPR points. His big play was actually on leak where he was lined up a couple yards off the offensive line. He went in, he chipped the defensive end. The linebacker thought it was a run play and then he ran up field. He made a great catch at the catch point. Got to give him credit there, but this wasn't like all of a sudden Gabe Davis taking over in man coverage. That was like a designed play to get him going on uh, a usually pretty unpredictable type of route. Like when someone wins on leak, you're not like, wow, what a good right. route. You're just kind of we're in the right spots. Uh, Gabe Davis, Cole Beasley play totally different positions. They're not correlated at all, in my opinion. I think we'll have to just see what Cole Beasley is looking like in practice. Hopefully he gets a full practice in. Last week he was limited or DNP the whole time. So uh, I think we'll go back. I also think this Dawson Knox stuff is a little overblown. Like they're not using, I mean, they use a, like a, a six tight or six offensive linemen and a fullback a little bit last week. But Dawson Knox, like, he doesn't play slot wide receiver. Like, Cole Beasley's still the slot wide receiver. So um, I think those splits are pretty noisy. And uh, the last note I had was the Jets left their DBs on islands the entire time. A lot of cover three, a lot of cover one. And Steph Diggs was just roasting them. Zero yeah. in-game adjustments. I mean, this. I mean, that game could, like, literally cost coaches their jobs. I thought it was that bad. 
and they did not lose their or uh, um, pick up on any lessons throughout the game. It's just Steph Diggs over and over and over again. And that's we always talk about it. When you get singled up, Stefan Diggs, good luck guarding that. Um, most teams have been pretty smart and used a lot of cover two stuff right. to prevent that from happening. Not, not the New York Jets. So keep that in the back of your mind when we're, t- when we're going for, for, uh, for matchups. Can you pull up the usage model on what Stefan Diggs fancy usage is over the last few weeks? Because, yeah, I mean, he's wide receiver 13. He's become the wide receiver six off of that. Um, I think a lot of that is impacted by what he put out there last week. And again, the figure that I mentioned of 13.4 intended air yards per throw compared to nine, seven and six in the previous three games, that was due to the defensive coverage that the jets were, were trotting out there. But I also think that if they had their wish, the bills would want to be much more like that because that's what they put out there in 2020 as well. So maybe they force it a bit more, but we've seen again, Stefan Diggs be very consistent, but not be that top tier fantasy asset that we drafted. And this is the Avenue to get there. It's just more difficult now across the league to do that. Yeah. The second he gets, I said, good luck. It's going to be a huge Steph Diggs game. I do think that the Emmanuel Sanders drop off in usage has been because uh, not this last week, but the weeks prior, it was a lot of too too high stuff, and Emmanuel Sanders ate us like at 18 yards. That's not going to work. Like you're just yep. not going to throw the ball down to Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, there was a couple opportunities for Emmanuel Sanders last week to make some big plays, but if we see that adjustment that we've seen with the Chiefs against the Bills, against smarter coaches, not the Jets, uh, we can kind of see this go back back to earth. But very very huge game from Steph Diggs. He looked just like he did uh, last year, and that's obviously super optimistic for him. We spoke about the 49ers running backs. Let's talk about their wide receivers now. And while Cooper Cup is on pace, or was, to beat Calvin Johnson's record, still is, uh, Debo Samuel is putting up an absurd season. And it continues, Hayden, despite some doubters. Five catches for 97 yards and a score. Five carries. Yes, five carries for 36 yards and another score. I mentioned you can see Jeff Wilson crunching across the formation here as basically a lead blocker in motion, and then Debo Samuel just beating one-on-one matchups at the line of scrimmage, down the field, at the second level as well. Who knows how much of this is can be extrapolated moving forward. We have seen Debo as a ball carrier in the past too, Hayden, but it also might have been like a one-week thing that more defenses can plan for and that Kyle Shanahan wanted to use to beat his buddy and Sean McVay. Anyways, despite Brandon Ayuk being in there, Despite George Kittle being back, we got, what, 10 touches for 120 yards, 30 yards for Debo Samuel, and you absolutely love to see that. Debo is, it's, I think it's one of the most absurd things I've seen all year, what he's doing. He is leading in yards uh, after the catch over expected, according to Next Gen Stats, which just means he's doing better than like the average player would after after he catches the ball. And I, I've noticed best. that on tape. I've noticed that. He's breaking through tackles. Um, the, the other thing is he's winning downfield at above expectation rates too. So not only are you getting the underneath stuff, you're also getting this crazy performances from downfield. So he's going to absolutely shred me like players like this, where it's all the unsustainable things, yards after the catch, deep stuff, just going to absolutely shred me. Uh, his usage was down uh, last game. The target share was down, but if you're going to just catch balls and run and break tackles and all that stuff, then I guess I'm just going to throw my hands up. So, uh, he is, I mean, it's, it's one of the most impressive seasons, uh, from a wide receiver. Cause it's not just underneath stuff. It's, 
it's the downfield stuff too. So yeah. this is just out of control. A couple things, and I should have vocalized this, and I tried to a couple weeks ago when we had, I think, a really good Debo Samuel discussion, is it's so clear when watching these games that he's the best player on that offense. And when you have a quarterback who is limited, and let me pull up his passing, passing chart from last week because, Hayden, it's incredible that this was in the W. Like, look at all these throws over the middle. They did absolutely nothing else. They barely asked him to do anything. Some of these passes sure were some tight windows, but give me a break here. Sean McVay's defense and Raheem Morris. Um, so Kyle is smart enough to say, okay, in order for us to win or to catch up when trailing, Debo has to get the ball. Like that is priority number one, to get him the ball in advantageous positions. And even if he just gets the ball, Hayden, he's good enough to make good things happen with it. For sure. And the other side of that coin is, hey, we're going to head into draft season here in February, March, and April. Let's not compare anyone to Debo Samuel. That's going to be a name that pops up. It has popped up in the last couple of years. He's a unique talent. And yep. the way that he is fluidly, you know, carrying the ball in these situations, we might see some players, you know, get jet sweeps and backfield touches, but no one can win after it while like keeping the same speed, while trucking people, while having great balance like Debo can. It's pretty amazing stuff. Yeah, he's so strong. Uh, to my fence, real quick. Last thing Go I'll ahead. say, his fantasy usage has dropped uh, four points with Kittle, and his target share is down 9%. He just happens to be Jerry Rice. Didn't see that one coming, so. <laughs> I mean, it's actually insane. Jerry Rice here. <laughs> no, I mean, but, like, really, like, last week he had, like, a 10 expected fantasy points, right. and he had, like, what, 30 actual points? So, like, right. just ridiculous stuff. Uh, Brandon Ayuk just three catches for 426 yards, but he's playing. He's running out there. That's good. And we'll get to George Kittle probably in a little bit too. Uh, speaking of efficiency, we go from one in Debo Samuel to another player, Hayden, a personal favorite, in Michael Pittman. I mean, his fantasy usage is not that great in comparison to what he's putting out there. I mean, over the last, what, four weeks is this? Wide receiver yes. 22 in fantasy usage. And he's converted that into wide receiver five this past weekend. Just five targets, but he takes that fo- those five targets for 71 yards. We know Jonathan Taylor is a monster carrying the ball. Let's start putting with some respect, and I think more people are, to Michael Pittman emerging as one of the better ex-wide receivers in the NFL. He's so good. He, I mean, he's not like Debo Samuel, but he is somebody that can win downfield at the catch point, but also has a little bit of yak ability I think he's amazing. I think that they found their uh, number one receiver for the next five years. Uh, hopefully you got him in dynasty. He can kind of do it all. I will say that Michael Pittman does get the bills this week. Then they have a bye yeah. week in the next thing. And there's also always this weird Carson Wentz thing looming too. So um, I don't know. He's playing way out of his mind compared to his usage. So I don't want to call him a sell high, but I think that if you needed to trade somebody, he can be kind of the piece to get him going. But I do think that like for the most part, he's been severely underrated like this entire year. Like he's been playing really well. And we already went over those like what five red zone targets that should have been touchdowns that just weren't right. for not uh, any reason of his own, but he's just turning these yards into like more yards on top of it. He's just super impressive. Yeah, Michael Pittman this year on third downs, he is the he's first in receptions with 21. He's first Damn. in 20 plus yard receptions on third downs with six. He's second in yards, 331, and he's third in converting those third downs into first downs with 15. So when the trebuchet needs someone to make a play, it goes on over 
to Michael Pittman. And he's moving better too. Carson Wentz is so much better than he was obviously at the beginning of the year. It's odd still though. Like you have these two pillar pieces and even dating back. I remember during training camp, like Zach Kiefer wrote that this is who they want to build the offensive round. And we're here. It's just like they're sustaining and it's who they want to be so much positive game script and then a hyper-efficient wide receiver. But then you wonder if they can get to the playoffs if that is like a successful formula for it to work. But hey, guess who it has kind of mirrored in the past? In the Tennessee Titans a little bit. Like it's not that different, you know, than Derrick Henry and John Taylor in the backfield and Michael Pittman and A.J. Green in the foreground. You know, like that, that's not a bad formula to have. Just hopefully your quarterback makes those like two or three plays in those games that make a difference for between a win and a loss. By the way, USC's got another Michael Pittman, Drake London. Be ready for draft draft season. We're going to be talking about him a lot. Michael Gallup returned to the field. Hayden Amari Cooper played 51 snaps. Michael Gallup, 41 snaps. C.D. Lamb, 32. Obviously, they crushed. They absolutely crushed the Atlanta Falcons. Um, I want to bring up the personnel groupings because I found this yep. very interesting. Um, again, we've talked about the Cowboys being so multiple. In week 10, 51% in 11 personnel, so three wide receivers, 31% in 12 personnel. They got some of those like Sean McKeon and random tight ends in Michigan involved. I mean, crazy. Then the previous week when Cedric Wilson was going off, when, when you know Blake Jarwin had just started to miss time, they were in 11 personnel 81% of the time. So while Michael Gout made some awesome plays and it was great to see him out there, Again, while we thought maybe in week nine this was morphing back into a team that was going to be stuck in three wide receiver sets, that doesn't seem to be the case. They want to stay multiple moving forward. Yep, and 22 or 22nd in neutral pass rate on top of it. Michael Gallup was out there for 55% of the routes. It's just not a great formula for someone like Gallup. I think that he's one of those few like insurance wide receivers there's only a mm. couple of them out there where he just needs an injury so he's definitely worth stashing i do think he's going to leave a little bit to be desired as a wide receiver three or flex just because he's not going to be on the field all that much and just what the cowboys can do in 12 personnel is just out of control they'll use that six line or six linemen they'll put them at fullback and just absolutely go off on linebackers so it's kind of an identity thing for the Cowboys and it's been working so well uh, maybe they don't change it up as much as we think and I think that Gallup might be more of a wide receiver five with some weekly upside and more of just an insurance option which is still fine and valuable for fantasy if Amari Cooper or CeeDee Lamb misses time he's going to be a wide receiver two plus now I don't want to read too much into it because again they were dominating but this was even up when just like seven to three but there were plenty of snaps where it was just Amari and Michael Gallup out there and not CD Lamb. So I think Gallup can rotate in there into wide receiver sets. And it's not just Amari and CD on every single one of those. Yeah. There, there'll be some looks where they want like Judy isn't big enough or not Judy, um, CD Lamb. Uh, and they want like a bigger guy like Michael Gallup. But right. yeah, I just think he's just going to be kind of probably the odd man out. Um, and same thing with Dalton Schultz with all of them there. It's like all of a sudden, like this team's not as fast, not as pass heavy as we thought. So they're going to be a little more inconsistent. Um, but I, I still want to hold Michael Gallup just because like the upside is so obvious. Okay. 
Let's talk about another team, Hayden, in the Denver Broncos, because at points this season, Cortland Sutton was like the leader or second in air yards. That's when Teddy Bridgewater was throwing it down the field. In the last few weeks, though, for Cortland Sutton, two catches for 40, one reception for nine, and two catches for 29. Uh, Nick Bird in the chat, he's excited about Jerry Judy the rest of the way as well. What do you want to tell us, Hayden, about the Broncos wide receivers? Uh, since Jerry Judy has returned their expected half PPR points, Judy 9.9, Tim Patrick 6.6, Corlin Sutton 4.7. 31st in neutral pace, they're really low in neutral pass rate. None of them are separating from each other. They're rotating in and out. I don't know how you're going to expect any of them to kind of separate from, from themselves. And I would guess it would be Jerry Judy number one, but even he's still getting wide receiver four fantasy usage attached to a quarterback that is uh, willing to check the ball down. So I don't know. I, I would rather not have Broncos in fantasy than have them. Yeah. Running backs. I think we're okay. Running backs have been productive even with, you know, their split backfields, but I'm with you with Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton. What a weird season for, for Cortland Sutton. Cause again, week two against the Jaguars, 12 targets, nine receptions, 159 yards, then back-to-back weeks. And, Five and six, 120, 94, a touchdown in both of those games. And it's basically been non-existent since that uh since that Cleveland Browns game. So something to keep in mind for 2022. Let's talk about Rashad Bateman, Hayden. It infuriated me on Thursday night football last week with Rashad Bateman and this Ravens team losing 22 to 10 to the Miami Dolphins. I have no clue why. Sammy Watkins was playing over him early because four of Bateman's six catches in the game were in the final two drives when the Ravens were trying to catch up on the scoreboard. And he ended as the team's leading receiver, eight for 60 for 80 yards. I mean, if they just played him instead of Sammy, they had a much better chance of winning. And hopefully we see that moving forward, despite, you know, John Harbaugh having some struggles of playing rookies in the past. Number one. Rashad Bateman looks good. Like he looks good to me, looks very versatile, can win at multiple levels. All the stuff that we were excited about coming into the year. It is going to be interesting to see when Sammy Watkins is healthier, what they're going to do. Cause some, somebody needs to play the slot and Sammy Watkins has been inside outside. Uh, Marquise Brown has been inside outside. Same with Rashad Bateman last week. They let Devin Duvernay kind of be that slot player. He ran around on 32 of 53 dropbacks. I'm curious to see when Devin Duvernay gets out there where they're going to slide in these three. Um, but Rashad Damon shouldn't come off the field, period. Like he's just way too good, in my opinion. I think that there's still some pass to him um, being an every down or every week wide receiver three. He's wide receiver 31 in fantasy usage over the last four games. So, um, I think I'm still overly pretty optimistic with Rashad Bateman, even though it was pretty frustrating last week. It was. And I actually want to bring this up because we have a video clip on the channel. Hopefully all of you are subscribed down below calling Rashad Bateman, the chain mover. As Nate Tice points out, Rashad Bateman is third in the NFL in terms of first downs being converted and or targets being converted into first downs only behind Christian McCaffrey and DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, pretty good. That's incredible stuff. And it's, it's, it doesn't matter if it's third and eight, third, nine, third and six, second and nine, he's doing it. And that's such a needed element. And again, on the usage show last week, we talked about 
Marquise Brown being used on kind of like these elongated runs because you know they lack explosion and almost as tunnel screens at points. Um, and that's still happening, right? I just want them to use their best players. Imagine that. It'll happen. Rashad Bateman is one of those. I'm trying to pull up because someone in the chat was questioning how much Sammy Watkins played. I've got it this past weekend. And he played 23 snaps in total. And I think he had a drop. He had another fumble and like just almost lost the game at points for them. Put that least them and hurt them and put them in a hole. So, yeah, let's play, let's play some Rashad Bateman as we move forward. Corey Davis, Hayden. Uh, we don't know who's the starting quarterback unless it happened during the show with the New York Jets. Um, we've barely seen, sadly, Mike White and Corey Davis combined out there. What's your view of Corey Davis? And if you want to bring up Elijah Moore as well. Yeah, so they're right next to each other in the fantasy usage model. But Elijah Moore's best games came with Corey Davis not active. Uh, their routes, it was Jameson Crowder 48 of 50. Corey Davis, 45 of 50. Those are the two every down players. And then Elijah Moore was down at 29 of 50. Um, so I think it's just going to be Corey Davis as the one. He was by far the most productive player last week. I think just on the, kind of the opposite of Michael Carter. I think Corey Davis and his, his skill set is probably better suited for someone like Joe Flacco or Zach Wilson. So we'll kind of be dependent on the news. But Elijah Moore is just not going to be viable as uh, the third receiver. I think that Corey Davis... Currently, the wide receiver 38 of fantasy usage uh, probably belongs on that flex radar. Nicole Hardman, Hayden, was being drafted as if he was a starting wide receiver on the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, that vision, that tunnel at the end, it's closing. Because as we saw this past week for the Kansas City Chiefs in one of their best offensive performances in a game, obviously, where the Raiders lined up incorrectly defensively every single time. Uh, Tyreek Hill, 41 snaps, or 41 routes, I should say, on 50 Patrick Mahomes dropbacks. Byron Pringle, 34. And then Michael Hardman, half of those at 17. I think now, at least looking at this, he's fifth in routes with Patrick Mahomes. So, one, this obviously drops Michael Hardman like a stone down and shouldn't even be rostered. But what does this do for Byron Pringle? Peyton. That's another side of this coin here. Yeah. McCall Hardman lost. Uh, basically, he's only a slot player and like some design stuff. Uh, but Byron Pringle's trending towards an every down player, ran a route on 36 of the 50 dropbacks. So I think that Byron Pringle is probably worth rostering um, because he could be an every down player and they need a second outside of receiver. And right now, that's who he is. So um, I don't know all that much about Byron Pringle. Uh, but anytime you're attached to Patrick Mahomes, I'm going to have at least some interest. And I just think that McCall Hardman just like never fully developed. We saw in the preseason with drops and some, he was, there was always times where Patrick Mahomes was yelling at McCall Hardman to like point him in the right direction. And at a certain point, if you're not going to be productive and you're a headache for your franchise quarterback, Mm. you're gonna have to sit on the bench. So um, I I would rather have Byron Pringle than McCall Hardman right now. And I think that Hardman's more of, Tyree kill insurance than uh, an yep. actual contributor. Yeah. If you, if you isolated his best performance last year, it was all in games that Tyree kill missed and we'll always have, you know, those training camp reports that he was learning how to play outside receiver. Cause those never came into fruition during yep. games either. Uh, the bears are coming off a buy and we'll close out the wide receiver group. And with this Hayden Darnell Mooney, Allen Robinson, we've seen Darnell Mooney 
I know it might not sound like a lot, but I think you and I can both sit here and say after watching the games, Justin Fields' last two games have been his best from like a pure passing standpoint and like working in the structure of an offense. In those games for Darnell Mooney, nine targets, six receptions, 64 yards, six targets, three receptions, 41 yards, and a score. I am on record taking Darnell Mooney over Allen Robinson for the rest of season. Where are you between those two? I guess I'm, I'm, I would go Mooney, but it'd be close. Uh, Mooney's has better fantasy usage, but Justin Fields, like you said, seventh in EPA per play since week eight, those two games were by far his best and post by rookie bump could mean good things for both of these receivers. So go pick them up if they were left on the waiver wires and, I think Justin Fields, now that he's running the ball more and he looks like he's like more under control, like he he fixed the pass protection stuff. It looks like now he's seeing the field better and they're now they're using him on the ground more. We could see coming out of here more zone read with Justin Fields. I think all of a sudden Fields could be uh, more of a top 15 fantasy quarterback moving forward with the potential to have a really big season like a la Jalen Hurts to close the year. So I would make sure all three of them our roster and even Cole commit. If you're in like a tight end premium league or something like that, let us have nice things. Matt Nagy, Bill Lazor. Come on. We've seen so many good things from Justin Fields in the last two games. And by the way, Darnell Mooney added another carry in the last one, which manufacturer touches we've seen in his history, brief history with the bears. He needs them. Well. He, d- he does need them. Okay. This is going to be the last time. Maybe that's a lie for me before we end the show with tight ends to tell you to like, and subscribe, smash it. of you that watch this are not subscribed. Why? You like us. You watch us. Smash the subscribe button while we're on the hunt for 10,000 subscribers. Okay, here we go. Close it out with tight ends. Hayden, I have a few names here that you gave me. And Pat Fryermuth, I'm a little bit more interested, though, in George Kittle because what we've seen from George Kittle in the last two weeks, Hayden, that for the rest of the way, I know the first half of the season was really hurting, and maybe those best ball teams already drafted him or out of the hunt. But as we move forward, he really might make do on that third-round ADP. He has at least 9.8 expected half PPR points in each of his last four healthy games. He looks really fast on tape. I mean, he looks like he hasn't lost a step. So I'm very encouraged by George Kittle. Also, Jimmy G has been playing pretty well like I, you don't have to say anything roll your eyes blah 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 all that stuff his EP, epa per play is off the charts and he's making so many tight window throws the last couple weeks i know he still has some boneheaded plays and i know it's a lot of structured based things but he's running this offense very well you cannot be uh disappointed in his production the last couple couple of weeks here so uh, i think we're gonna get jimmy g uh in for the rest of the season they can go on a run because the playoff schedule is nice and easy and Kittle looks really good. And I think all of a sudden, this kind of trio with Ayuk and Debo and Kittle and Jimmy G could kind of make some noise down the stretch. You don't have to say you anything. Want- we we, all, we already know you're biased. You will never admit when you see Jimmy G playing well. But he's been playing well. You don't have to talk about it. I got you. All right. Not my quarterback. Uh, anyone else at tight end you want to talk about? I saw Pat Frymuth being listed there as the tight end two in face usage. We've seen that come to fruition. Um, he's being targeted heaven in the red zone. And we saw the Eric Ebron returning and he still ran 61% of the routes as you write. Yeah. I, I mean, you're going to have to downgrade him. I do not think he's going to hold up, but he looks really good. So um, I say we let the readers go to underblog to finish out the rest of the tight ends. I think we've done okay. enough here. Nice. 
Love that. All right, everyone, we're going to get out of here for you, One Rock, for you, Jared, for you, Greg, Macho, some of our favorite viewers on YouTube. Always check us out on there because, as you can tell, we pull up clips, we pull up tweets, we pull up news, we pull up all that good stuff. And for you listening in the podcast feed, you can take us with you. Just search the Underdog Football Show on any podcast platform out there. Hayden and I will be back here on Thursday for our game by game preview. And as always, if you have never tried out underdog fantasy, go play pick them, go try battle royales. They take like five minutes to do. And there's so much fun. There's a lot of strategy in there. Try out like two or three of them. If you want to take a quarterback early, stack them with the wide receiver, maybe double off on running back, running back to start. They're definitely, definitely worth it and fun to track. All right. For Hayden Winks, I am Josh Norris. Up the villa, everyone. Talk to y'all soon. See ya.